is, as we started from the beginning, a joyous day, but not only is it a joyous day, but it's an important and shaping day for the ministry and the mission of Church of the Cross. God has brought to you a leader, a pastor, a man of wisdom, humility, and love, who also happens to have a terrifically gifted wife, who is equally invested and called to ministry and leadership, very much, I might add, like my own bride, Sally, who has been a partner with me from the beginning. And two solid, growing, courageous sons, who I got to confirm by. Even with all that this couple brings to the table, today God will call and confirm Dave and all of us corporately together with you under my commission to a higher level of service and dedication than ever before. It's a day when he will be called with you as witnesses and prayer partners and fellow ministers to lead you in love for Jesus and in fervor for the gospel of reconciliation. He will be charged to be an example of holiness and faithfulness to Christ and to the whole church. As he assumes the mantle of shepherd, he will be called to pattern his life after the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. He will be reminded of the centrality of prayer and the necessity of his own growing, ongoing, continuing growth as a disciple and a lover of Jesus. He will be placed in a role of catalyst for the growth of the gospel in this church and through this church for the sake of the city of Boston, your neighborhoods, your schools, your workplaces. Now, if you were listening carefully, you may think I'm going a little bit over the top, but I'm not. It is no small thing to be called a pastor and a shepherd of the flock of God. And you are being called, Dave, to live that life out. Your commitment, excuse me, this is, I lost my place here. I figured out. I could have taken this time to go through, in fact, if you had not had a retreat yesterday, I would have gone through all three of the texts for you. Because each one of them is a powerful, powerful word for you as a new pastor. The second Samuel passage comes at the climax of 20 years of testing and suffering that David had to go through while God shaped his character and prepared him to be a leader for the people of Israel. He had a very rough process of education. And through it, he was called on a radical level to submit to the living God in his life and in his heart. At the end of that time, after all of the purification and the reshaping of him, verse 12 that we read today really became real for him. David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom, David's kingdom, for the sake of God's people, Israel. So God had placed him in that place and given him authority and position for the sake of the people. And David had finally gotten that fully, deeply in his soul. I could also go with you to Luke chapter 12, which is the standard ordination gospel for an installation of a priest. But as I shared with you this week a couple of times, I read this week uh, Archbishop Michael Ramsey's explanation and the homilies that he gives to his ordinance on the eve of their ordination. And if I were going to go through the gospel of Luke 12, I probably should have just read you the chapter that, you know, given you Archbishop 
Ramsey's sermon because you would be well served and inspired by that. But I'm not going to really land on either of those. I'm going to take my time today and really focus on the first Thessalonians passage, which I think perhaps is the finest and most full explanation of a true pastor of the church that you can find in the New Testament, other than simply by looking at the life of Jesus. So I encourage all of us, if you will, to turn to that first Thessalonians passage. If you have a way of getting there, if you have your phone, just make sure the little ringer's off. And we were going to dive into that. In this passage, Paul gives three principles of pastoral ministry. The first is this, that his life and ministry is shaped by full allegiance to the one voice. Secondly, that he is called and fulfills his calling to love like a mother loves her children. And he is called and he has embraced the call to love like a father loves his children. So total allegiance to one voice, mother love and father love. Put that together, and we're talking about what a pastor is. So let's just unpack that a little bit. The, the allegiance to the one voice for Paul's life came through significant testing in his life. Even as he references in the first few verses of chapter 2, he has been tested through persecution. And you pull it together and you look at Paul's life and you realize that from direct attacks from Satan, from Roman officials and government, from people within the church itself, from his own challenges and battles in terms of the physicality of what he had to go through, there were so many opportunities that Paul had to simply pack it in. And this is just too hard. And yet he endured through that, and through that process, he was purified in his motivations. So that he can say in verse 4 that we have this simple goal, to, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. His commitment to listen to God had been tested. And just before he came to Thessalonica, which he is referring to, a mob had threatened him in Philippi, and the Roman authorities had forced him, forced him to leave. But he did endure this in order to fulfill the law, Lord's call on his life to preach the gospel without stuttering and the full gospel without waffling. So Paul never wavered. Dave, I'm grateful that you're not going to be fighting to maintain ministry, I think, quite so alone as Paul was. Because you have supports that Paul didn't have. You have the tradition of the church that's developed over the last 2,000 years. You have the full canon of Holy Scripture. You have a maturing, spiritual church that can walk with you. And hopefully you have trusty leaders and bishops who can help you figure out what God wants you to do. And all of this is going to converge together and not be a big conflict for you. But nevertheless, at the end of the day, your greatest devotion and allegiance must be as singular as Paul's was to listen to the voice of Jesus. And that is heard in your ample time spent with Jesus, and, you, and if you just hear me there, in your drop-dead seriousness about living the life he commands. You cannot give what you do not possess. And so what you call the people to has to be worked through in your own heart and life. Dealing with your own sins head up through the grace and mercy of Jesus. Facing down your own tendencies towards sloth. Facing down your own fears. So that allegiance, brother, I urge you to tend the fire in your own soul. You will serve these people better by doing what God tells you to do and by speaking what God tells you to speak than by pleasing anybody else. And God alone is the one who 
who has the way for you to effectively love this people. Because that's what God will tell you to do. Your allegiance to Christ will call you to devotion and love. And Paul was, if you want to read back in chapter 1, and I encourage you all to do this, if you read back and see the miraculous planting and birth of the church of Thessalonica, on the human level, Paul was the cause for that effect, because he was there in the power of the Spirit. And through him, God used that plant of vibrant church that became a model church throughout the Mediterranean world. There's no accidents here, God. There's no accidents. And who the leadership is in terms of character, heart, and passion for Jesus will be demonstrated in the life of the church and those who are seeking to follow his love. The center of Paul's heart was knowing and pleasing God, doing the will of God, and because of that, because of that, he loved the church well. And he describes that love as a combination in a wedding of mother love and father love. As I mentioned that, I want to just pause here and give a caveat. Because like every other bell curve, the bell curve of healthy parental love has its kind of most intense expressions on either end. Mother love and father love. Real world parents fall all over the bell curve. We know that, okay? Paul knew that, even as he wrote it. Because there are good fathers who have characteristics that are more uh, commonly associated with maternal love, and good mothers who have characteristics more associated with paternal love, and at the same time, what you got here is a guy who was single <laughs> and had no, kept no kids. And yet he was saying, I love you like a mother and I love you like a father. And that is a good thing. He hit these two edges and claims them both as apt descriptors of what a true pastor is. He loved like a mother loves her children, verse 7. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very selves, because you had become dear to us, very dear to us. And you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. What images were there? It's a powerful image. The word gentleness, literally in scripture, means strength under control, like reigning in a horse. So a gentle person, scripturally, is a very strong person who knows how to rein in her strengths or his strengths for the sake of the good of other people and use the strengths in a way that is productive to achieve the goals of God. There's affection that's communicated, a genuine enjoyment of people, loving people. David's pastor, you better like these people. They're your flock. There's the nourishing of it. There's the concept. It's actually a very visceral conversation, vision of, of, of a mother nursing a child at the breast in order to give nourishment through the expense of her own sleep in her own body. There's great sacrifice that has been built into this construct. So mother love is held as a beautiful image of pastoring to nourish at your own expense and at sacrifice through your own time and energy for the sake of those that people might be built up and grow in health and in life. Do so with affection, not with resentment, not domineering, but genuine love for people. Sacrificing. I could give you all sorts of examples because I've grown up my life with a great mother beside me who has demonstrated this time and time again. 
love like a mother loves your children. And then also, just as much Paul says he loves like a father, verse 10, you are witnesses of God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his only kingdom and glory. If a mother love is like the warmth and sacrifice and the nurturing of life, the father's love is the clarity of holiness and goodness and vision, a love that fights for the lives of children and teaches them and instructs them how to live. And in order to do that, the father, according to this text in verse 10, has himself must be holy and righteous and blameless. Which is, by the way, parenthetically, just a side here, why ethical and moral impurity within a father is so destructive to the life of the family. Why it undercuts the father's strength to be what the father's called to be. Integrity gives strength and authority. It calls the church and the children to righteousness and fervor. It's through that that a pastor can do battle for the souls of people. And there will be time day when you are actually literally called to do battle for the sake of the people, for the lives and the souls of people. God has sent Jesus, his son, to literally deliver us from sin. It's strange to me, the same in our world, because in our world, the more popular pastoral model is all about reassurance and comfort and care, which is true. But there is also a vigor and a holiness that is called from the people of God. And Christ came to deliver us from sin. St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Never forget this verse, if any man or woman is in Christ, he or she is a new creation, a new creation. Old things have passed away, new things have come. This is meant to be a different way of life, folks. And you must fight for that on your knees as a father fights for the life of his kids. From that strong love that the spiritual father draws an outline of what God calls us to. I love verse 12. We exhorted each one of you, encouraged and charged you. There's three verbs there. To walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And the idea is like drawing an image, naming what a person should be, giving a vision for it. And then through exhortation, which is instruction, calling the truth out, encouragement, which is walking alongside your heart alongside charging us, giving instruction, and teaching, and testimony from your own life. A true pastor calls people to become all they're meant to be. And part of the agenda of God is to call all of us to become the fullness of who we are to be in Jesus. And a pastor takes seriously the responsibility to do that personally and corporately for the church. Driven by the agenda of God, pleasing God, what a true pastor does is love like a father and a mother. Now let me push this a little bit deeper. I want to consider these two images of mother love and father love as two sides of the coin. We already have done that in pastoral ministry. And I love the fact that when Paul's doing this and preaching this about himself and giving testimony, he's doing so as a single man. Which shows it's a bigger call than any individual, right? But these are two sides of the point of produ producing a, a pastoral ministry in which we produce and sustain life and we form and shape life. And what am I talking about? Evangelism and discipleship. In other words, preaching the gospel so that people literally can be born again and come to life 
in nurturing that life through the process of baptism, through the process of calling people to be cleansed and set free from the past. And then the discipleship aspects, practical instruction. And David gave as the shepherd of the Church of the Cross, you were called to take the lead in the work of the whole church, the whole commission given to us to make disciples of the world, which is evangelism and discipleship. That's all of our job. They've set the pace for us. Set the pace for us so that we can learn how to do it ourselves. If you cannot tell, I am filled with joy. I am filled with gratitude. I'm filled with earnestness. I can get a little bit wound up. That's Sally. She has heard me preach more than anybody should be compelled to. But having placed before you the urgency of what we're talking about, the earnestness of it, I, you're listening. I do want to swing back around and maybe speak what sounds like a little bit of a whiplash. And I want to assure you through a somewhat paraphrased quote from Jean-Pierre de Cassade's marvelous little book called The Sacrament of the Present Moment. Listen, let me impress upon you that the invitation of the gentle, loving Savior Jesus expects nothing more difficult, extraordinary of you. And that's going to sound really weird, because I've just, I've just hit the heights, right? But he expects nothing difficult or extraordinary of you. He's not making impossible demands on you. He only asks that your good intention be united fully to his intentions. Surrendered in every moment to loving him, giving him your heart and full attentiveness, and obeying him. It's as simple as taking every step tuned in to the love of Jesus Christ, for you, for the church, and doing what he tells you to do in that moment, and listening well. Surrendering to him his divine will each step so that he may lead, guide, use, and reward you in this service. And the rest of everything else I said, honestly, if you could take that to heart and live it out, will simply flow because you are being called to pastor this church. He will give you what you need. Brother, we are thrilled. Sister, we are thrilled. Guys, we're great for you too. It is really great to be here to welcome you as a family to this position of honor and responsibility and joy to pastor and lead a church that is deeply beloved by our diocese and by me as well. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.